Welcome. Thanks for joining us here at Dad in the Trenches. I think you're going to like today's guest, Ian Giotti. He has been around Hollywood for a long time. He started out as a childhood actor as well, and uh, now father, husband, and uh, has a really interesting story. And I think you're really going to enjoy. The other fun thing about this is the way it all worked out timing-wise. He lives in L.A. and was in traffic. We recorded this podcast while he was in his car, so you might hear the revving of engines or traffic in the background, just an extra layer of fun. So thanks for joining us here. If you haven't already, uh, if you're a longtime listener or follower on our social media, uh, do me a favor, please rate, review, and subscribe the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just helps the exposure. Thanks for joining us today. Here we go. You are in the trenches of life. You are faced with pressure every day. Family, work, community, all demanding a piece of life. Fatherhood is war, but you continually battle for your soul and the souls in your family. It can feel isolating and exhausting, but there is good news. You have a heavenly father. Because of Jesus, you can be strong, courageous, you can be an intentional father, living with purpose. This is what you are meant for. You will make an impact. You are not alone. Welcome to Dad in the Trenches, a resource for biblical truth, challenge, and encouragement for Christian dads in the trenches of life. Welcome to the Dad in the Trenches podcast. Today, my guest is Ian Giotti. Ian, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Aaron. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, very, very grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Just start us out, you know, current season of life, what you're up to these days. You know, I'm born and raised a Southern California kid. I currently work uh, as a digital journalist for CBS Los Angeles. Uh, I've acted my entire life in the movies, television, uh, commercials since about the age of six. Um, been a believer for about, I want to say, almost almost been a, a full decade now, almost 10 years. Awesome. Um, got a wife, three beautiful children. Um, and you know what, man, I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for where I've been and where I am. That is awesome. How, how old are your kids? My kids are now uh, eight, six, almost seven, and four. Okay, very, very cool. Well, you are you are definitely a dad yeah. in the trenches, um, and so you're in Hollywood. You're, <laughs> yes, you're yes, acting. You're you're in the industry. Um, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I know very little about the industry. How you get in? How all that works? Um, you know, maybe maybe talk us through a little bit of growing up. Um, you know, your family, uh, life with dad, and then also, you know, how did uh, Hollywood and, and all that enter into the picture? Sure. Um, yeah, I was about, I don't know, I think I was five years old, and I was going to daycare. Uh, dad worked, obviously, mom worked. And um, I, I think my daycare teacher kind of told my mom, like, hey, I, I think your, your kid is, you know, he he'd enjoy acting. He's, he's always, you know, showing off for the kids, making a fool of himself, <laughs> which I definitely was. And um, so my mom's 
my mom didn't know much, you know, didn't much about the business. And she asked for some guidance and he's like, yeah, we know a photographer and we know a couple of agents you can send to. So, you know, took some headshots and put out some pictures and I landed with a, a great agency, Mary Grady agency. Um, and, and, uh, man, I started working pretty quickly from the start from about six years old on, wow. uh, had a lot of different opportunities. Yeah. I started in commercials, um, then, uh, did some TV shows and then started landing a few movie gigs. And it was, um, it was a great time. I mean, I really, uh, I really didn't think anything of it other than, you know, this is, this is quite normal. Right. <laughs> it just felt normal. It never unusual in any way, shape or form. You know, the only time, the only thing that, when, it, when it felt unusual was when uh, I'd go back to school and ki- kids would be like, Hey, where you been? Or I saw you on this thing or, you know, and then they get, they look at you sideways a little bit, but um, <laughs> beyond that, no, my, my parents were great. They were the opposite of, you know, stage moms or stage dads. My, they were very supportive and encouraging and, and they just said, Hey, you, if you enjoy it, you do whatever you need to do. And we'll be right there to look over your shoulder and, and protect you and watch over what you do and, and support you. And so, so they did that. Um, and they did that very well. That's cool. That's really cool. Now, did you grow up in a believing family or, you know, tell us about kind of your spiritual background? Well, I definitely grew up in a, in a household that valued uh, religious ideas, meaning, you know, there was a, a generic idea of God and we celebrated Christmas. And my mother actually ha- um, is Jewish, uh, has a, you know, a Jewish background. So uh, we would celebrate Hanukkah. And, and there was this general idea uh, of God, um, but there was no real religion there's certainly no biblical teaching and and you know we we kind of we got along and i don't even now i don't i don't really fault my parents i mean this is they were doing as the best job they could they they were great parents and they loved me and then later when my sister came along they loved us and Hmm. and so you know they did their best without you know without any real religious kind of foundation Interesting. And, and tell us, I mean, you and I have connected some out, outside of the podcast and, um, you know, I, I, I'm really, I'd love for you to share even a little bit more just about your, you know, how you came to the Lord and, you know, your testimony is, is just amazing. Um, you know, share a little bit more with the listeners about, you know, how that transpired. Yeah, of course. When I look back, when I, when I talk about my testimony, I always have to make sure I keep myself as, as short-winded as possible because I could go on and on and on. Because we, we got as much time as you need, brother. You, the, the, old, the older you get, the, the more these little details seem to be like, oh, yeah, Lord, I, I understand now. Like, I see that now. Totally. You know, when you look back 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, um, I, I, I got to say this, and I don't usually think of this when I, when I think of my testimony, but like I said, I didn't really grow up in a religious family, but when I was about, uh, I want to say eight or nine years old, I took a trip to Italy to go visit my, uh, my grandparents on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. And, um, my grandfather lived in, lived in Rome and, uh, he actually had been a U.S. diplomat for a while. And mm-hmm. he actually, some stuff went down, still not clear all the details, but he went and moved back to, to Rome. And when we got there, this was my first time meeting my grandfather and he was coming at me. Remember an eight year old kid who just wants to play with toys and I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going doing my thing. He was constantly coming at me about Jesus huh. and he would use 
biblical uh, evangelical terms, born again, um, mm. saved, these things, that I, they were completely foreign to me. Yeah. And my mom, who's just looking out for me and just trying to defend me, you know, she wasn't, first of all, she wasn't super comfortable with all this language. And she, was, <laughs> she would usually shield him from that. And, and so she did a good job of that. But I'll always remember that because I know that first and foremost, I'm going to see my grand my grandfather in heaven one day, and the first thing I'm going to do is run up to him and let him know, like, thank you. I I, I know now, like, I'll always remember it, but I had no context for it. Right. So I guess fast forward, fast forward, you know, through another ten years, and and I become this, you know, adolescent teen, and I was your average, you know. Uh, school school age kid teenager I loved basketball played GI Joe you know I, 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 when I, I as acting kind of petered out around the age of 14 I wanted to be an average kid and I did that I joined the basketball team I hung out with my friends and, and did what you know kids that age do is kind of hang out right right um, and there was no there was no mindfulness of anything spiritual right um, that continued into college but I found myself having to kind of defend that that a little bit because the thing about these pesky Christians, man, is they're always coming at you with these challenging questions about your <laughs> worldview. And, and, and I never, you know, the world always tells you that these Christians and their antiquated views are not very articulate and they don't know really, they don't know really what they believe. And I always found just the opposite. Hmm. All the people that I encountered, even in high school at that age, who, yeah, they definitely were strange to me. They were different, you know, uh, they, there were, they were all, there was always something very centered about them. And even if I couldn't put my finger on it, then I know now that's what it was. They had a foundation. Now, I'm not saying all those people were saved. I'm not saying all those people were, were uh, people who followed Jesus. I'm just saying, even with that general foundation, you have a, a totally different mindset and approach to, you know, uh, high school, for example, mm. or or even college. It just, it changes the way you approach things. So yeah. um, I was running into more and more people who could articulate uh, the Christian faith and challenge my own you know, presuppositions about what I believe, which really, I mean, if I'm being completely candid at 17 years old, you're kind of piecing it together, right? If you don't have a foundation, <laughs> you're saying, well, I think it's this. I think God's that. Right. I think this might be true, but who knows? And it's all these claims of truth about not knowing, which are, of course, claims of truth, right? I mean, you're claiming <laughs> to know for sure that you can't know. So so I was doing that typical kind of atheist dance, and I I had to fortify it as I went into college and, and was completely and became even more challenged by, you know, Lord bless them, like very, uh, very well biblically versed Christians who were just sharing their faith, and I had mm. to be able to defend that. And so... I started doing uh, a deep dive into all the different worldviews from around the time I was a freshman in college on. I started reading everything I could about every other worldview except the Christian or the biblical worldview. <laughs> so you, you, name, you name it, I probably read about it. Uh, right. Tibetan Buddhism and, and, and Zen Buddhism. And uh, I read, I, you know, I've, I read all these different books from Nietzsche, Sartre, and all these different philosophical books. I read, um, you know, uh, I, I read uh, the Communist Manifesto. That was a that was a big one. I remember thinking, "Wow, I'm really smart now." I'm reading the Communist Manifesto, <laughs> not knowing that it was 
not knowing it was an atheist diatribe, I just thought, yeah, this is this is it. This is the this is where I'm supposed to be. So I went I went through all I ran the gamut of all these big books, and I even at one point I always like to tell people, I even at one point read the Satanic Bible years you know years into this. Right. I I read it because because I thought, hey, let's just see what they're talking about. I didn't really. I wasn't going to be a Satanist. I knew that, but right. I wanted to know what it was. And I found out through study and, and comparison world, you know, comparative worldview study. Like, you're like, Oh, these guys are secular humanists. That's really all they are. Right. And, but they're just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's Satanism. I mean, that, they're just kind of, these things go hand in hand. So right. I studied all this stuff and I really, nothing really, nothing really satisfied. And, uh, so Kind of counter to that, around the age of 24, I had what was really one of the, you know, one of the biggest events in my life, which is I was, uh, I was actually diagnosed with a congenital benign cyst in my brain. Wow. Uh, it, it was not cancerous. Uh, I was born with it. And it just happened to move in a way that began blocking fluid in my head to the point where I was getting these these debilitating migraines. Wow. I could, I mean, it was so painful that I couldn't even describe. Hmm. And I, I was, I, you know, first they thought I had spinal meningitis. Um, it was a very scary time. This is about, I don't know, summer, spring of 2001. Uh, I finally got a great doctor. They found out the problem. I went into surgery, <coughs> excuse me, they removed the cyst. And so now I'm a, a person that just underwent brain surgery at the age of 24. I'm looking in the mirror. I have staples in my head. I'm half bald. Um, my life and everything I was doing, I was acting at the time. I was kind of doing what, you know, whatever 24 year old guys do rooming with my, my buddy and just kind of figuring it out as I went along and everything got the, the got hit on the, gut, the pause button hit on it. And, um, and it was a big gut check, you know, in a way that I, I wish I'd love to say romantically, like, oh, well, that's when God saved me. It is not. Mm. <laughs> it is not. But I know that that was a major step in the process. And what it and what it really did for me as an atheist was confronted me with this idea of death. Mm. And, and, and death is something that people talk about in such trite ways. You know, we we talk about it and we joke about it. And, and understandably, we're trying to cope with this thing that. It, it, it's going to happen or happening to all of us. And we're just trying to figure a way around it and, and deal with it from moment to moment. So I was confronted with, for the first time, the, the very real, not possibility, but the ultimate conclusion that I was going to die. Now, maybe it wasn't going to be at the age of 24. Right. Maybe it would be years later. At that time, I, I truly didn't know. But I remember, I'll always remember till, till the day I actually die, <laughs> is being wheeled into that operating room on that bed. Uh. And I didn't know what was going to happen after the operation. And I remember thinking, and again, I'm not a believer at this point, but I remember thinking, I, I have no control over this. I have to let go and I have to just trust in whatever the plan is for my life in so many words. I didn't pray. This wasn't, you know, a salvation moment by any means. Yeah. But it was a, it was the first time I had ever released control over my life in mm. a way that was very alien to me. Yeah. So that was that that was a major a major turning point in things. Wow. 
So then, then take us forward from there. What, um, how much longer was it? Did you continue kind of in atheism? What, uh, what transpired after that? <laughs> so, 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 you know, like I said, I wish I had a more romantic story arc, but, <laughs> but you know, I, um, I, I came out of that and I got well and, and I wanted, I was very, I was severely clinically, I'm sure I would have been diagnosed, although I never went to a doctor clinically depressed to the point of, Maybe not suicidal, but very suicidal uh, thoughts, you know, uh, ideas of like, well, my life is over. I mean, I, I was living at my mother's house. All the friends I thought were close were, you know, everyone scatters, right? It's like mm -hmm. if someone goes down, hey, man, you're on your own with this thing. I mean, right. they do the obligatory. We hope, you, we hope you're feeling better, but I was alone. Yeah. I mean, I was alone. And I knew it. And I was at rock, rock bottom. I mean, that was the absolute bottom. Um, and so I healed and I got better and, and time went on. And, you know, you build, you rebuild your life. I, I got a job and I had an amazing woman by my side who ultimately became my wife. Hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I got there. I, I moved past all that. But what I took from that experience with that was that, was really that life is so fleeting as to be completely and totally insignificant. Mm -hmm. Meaning that I, your, your life is such a vapor as, as the Bible teaches us, yeah. right? That I thought, look, if it is that, which it is, <laughs> then why not eat and drink and be merry? Like Paul says, why not do whatever <laughs> you want to do? What's the point? And so in a slow kind of fashion, a slow building fashion, I began to live my life that way and be like, look, um, you know, I'm going to do what I like. You know, I have this great lady and I, I love her and we're going to get married, but I'm going to live my life how I please. And I'm going to believe what I please. and I'm going to say what I please and I'm going to do as I please. And that became my life into, you know, into probably the, my first year of marriage. Hmm. Um, you, you know, that, that was really the attitude. And, you know, I, I look back now and I, I, I realize I had to be there for the next few events to occur. But um, that, was, that was no better than being, you know, where I was before. I mean, it was like, at the time, I'm like, well, you know, I thought I'd found like, oh, this great, philosophical freedom where I can just do what I like and no one can tell me otherwise but I realize right. now I had to be there in order to indulge myself so much where I realized that that was vanity hmm. that doing exactly what I wanted whenever I wanted was so empty and that that life could not continue that I could not sustain life hmm. that way indefinitely yeah so so move fast forward to the first year of marriage we had, you know we, we had a beautiful wedding and we have, we start our life together. And, um, about a few months into our marriage, my wife comes home to me one day and she tells me that I need to believe in Jesus or I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> my response to her was, uh, I think it was both anger and fear. I said to her, Listen to me very closely. Don't you ever bring Jesus up to me ever again, or this this marriage is not going to last. Huh. That's a very, 
it was kind of scary for both of us because we're like, you know, we had just we had been together for years. We built this relationship. We got married, and you know, here she was preaching Jesus to me. And yeah. just for context, you know, and I, I I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Her brother-in-law got saved probably. I want to say maybe a couple years or a year before we met. Okay. And he had been coming at me as he grew as he grew to know me, yeah. evangelizing me. But I I, I laughed I laughed at him, and I would come back at him with like all the you know the the normal questions like, well, if God is good, you know, why is why did bad things happen? Those right. Kind of, so those kind of ridiculous questions that yeah. I, I think about now. But um, but uh, so I know he was preaching to my wife too, and. God was doing a work in her life and, and he did it. And so huh. that moment was a real, <laughs> it was a real marker for me. And wow. I, I was like, well, no, this, uh, this, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage. I don't know. I can I do this. I didn't, I didn't want to marry a Christian. I didn't have any plans like that. Um, and so after that, she kind of kept it to herself. She saw how serious I, I took it. Um, but then, uh, then through just a, a, a series of events that would be really too long and detailed to even like summarize it <laughs> right now or in, yeah. this, in this particular moment, I, I I began little by little to have people come into my life, share things with me, um, uh, apologetics were shared with me, uh, hmm. certain uh, books. Uh, you know, I, my brother-in-law put "I don't have enough faith to be an atheist" in front of me, <laughs> challenged me to read it. Huh. Um, I held off on it for a while and until I actually believed and then I, and then I read it, which is weird, <laughs> but, uh, he would challenge me and, and, and then, you know, I, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to argue about the Bible knowledgeably, I need to know what it says. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't just, I, I can't pretend that I know what it says or yeah. say what other people say. I need to know firsthand yeah. what the Bible says. And you already read everything so else. I, so... <laughs> I might as well go to the Bible. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I cracked open, I think I cracked open Matthew because that's the first book of the New Testament. And I decided, <laughs> okay, I'll start here. Uh, I'll see what this is all about. And I'll be able to talk about it intellectually and knowledgeably. And I, I just remember, I think I was one of those Bibles that uh, Jesus' words in the red letters. Right. Um, but I remember reading his words and and hearing them as they were as if they were being spoken in my presence, not audibly. Okay, yeah. I don't want to be misunderstood. I didn't hear a voice, but I heard them being spoken in my heart as though I were hearing them sp- being spoken audibly, hmm. and it was undeniable. And yeah. it was one of those things where I. I almost, you know, like in the movies when they put the book down, like, oh, I can't read it. I mean, I was doing that <laughs> because something was happening. Oh, man. Um, and so I, I pressed on because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm already here. Like, I'm reading about this stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, and I kept reading and it got to the point one day where I, I don't remember what particular part of the Bible I was reading, to be honest. But I was alone. My wife was out of the house and. And I was in our office, and I, I just, I just dropped out. I'm like, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> and I, I told him, you know, I, I, I didn't preach, I didn't pray a prayer, I didn't, I didn't have a formula of any kind. I, I just said those words out loud, yeah. and I knew who I was talking to, yeah. and he heard me. Amen. 
but I know now I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. But I know now that that's that's God saved me. I was yeah. born again. I mean, that's I, I and I knew that later. I didn't know that then. I just knew, okay, something just happened and now I believe the words in this book. Man, and I don't on. and I hadn't even read the whole thing. All right. <laughs> I, I just knew that I believed. Man, that's awesome. So, Praise God. Man, that is awesome. Come on, Ian. That's great. Yes. Praise <laughs> God. <laughs> so that you said that's probably about 10 years ago or so? Uh, that was roughly in the summer of 2009. So yes. Okay. Yeah, great. Happy anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. some of those people that write down the day you know when they like maybe prayed the prayer or whatever they did that they they say got you know they, that was the day that they started right. walking with the lord i i didn't do that because i didn't really understand it yeah and i shared it the next so a, a couple weeks later we went to um we went to dinner with my brother-in-law <laughs> and um and, and his new girlfriend at the time who's now his wife who's who's a very strong believer and we um, we started talking, and I told him, "Hey, man, you know, everything you told me is true." <laughs> and and he, you know, started he broke down. I mean, oh, it was a, it, it was a very emotional moment because yeah. it, you know, he he had been coming at me for years, and I would be <laughs> like, "Dude, you're crazy," you know, like just blowing him off. And yeah. And he, and I know at that moment he knew that God had done the thing that that was done in his own heart years ago. Yeah. He saw it happen, and it was it's one of those moments when you know you know you go through these times. You walk with the Lord, where you're like, you know, it's mundane, it's day to day, and you're like, God, where are you, and 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 what's going on, and mm-hmm. and what's happening, and then and then it shows up, right? And you're like, I know you, I know, I know you're here all along. I just thank you for the reminder, you know, like, thank you just for doing that thing you just did. And, and I think, I think this was one of those moments for my brother-in-law where it was like, okay, Lord, you're, you're, it's like that. Yeah, totally. You just, you know, you do as you will when you want to do it, yeah. you know? So it was a pretty cool moment. That it was is a pretty awesome. cool moment. That is so awesome. So let me put you on the spot a little bit here, just in, in context of, you know, atheism, Christianity, having been really on, yeah. so to speak, on both sides of the table, like, um, you know, when yeah. you, when you talk to atheists now, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, for those of us listening and including myself, you know, I don't have a, a ton of conversations with, with atheists, um, or, I mean, we're, we're living yeah. by all means in an ungodly culture that's running headlong away from Jesus in many regards and towards ourselves. But, you know, what, what are those conversations like, um, you know, what, what kind of perspective can you bring for us and, uh, give us, you know, how obviously, you know, your brother-in-law was played a big part, but you know, anybody that's an atheist in our lives, how can, can we love them? Well, um, you know, what does that process look like? You know, give us some, some thoughts and, and your experience on all that. Well, you have to first, I need to point out that even religious people, um, whatever religion it may be, are actually they're fundamentally atheistic, and and what I mean by that is that 
at least the atheist says, hey, I don't believe there's anything, right? But religious people who have not been born again, who who don't actually know God by his spirit through Jesus Christ, they just say, I believe this, or I believe in that God, or whatever it is. They are also an atheist (laughs) in that they're still an unbelief. Right. And people don't really talk that way. People think like, look, if I just evangelize, you know, the Jewish person or the Muslim person or the, the uh, forgive me, but the Catholic person or the Mormon person, well, they're sort of X amount close to God. And then I can just nudge them a little bit towards <laughs> right where they need to be. Right. And, and that's not at all what the, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Right. Like. People are either in Christ or they are outside of Christ. Come on, You're either with him or you're you're against him. (laughs) There's no – and that's what I loved about – I loved about the truth when I was first encountered with it. Encountered it. It was – there is no gray area. There is no middle ground. So atheism isn't – it's just a – it's a term we use, but – I, I really think that if you're not in Christ, you're in unbelief. That's what the Bible says. And yeah. and so I, it doesn't matter to me whether you say, I believe in nothing, or I believe in this God, or I believe in that God, or I believe in this book, or I believe in that book. Yeah. None of that matters, because if you're not in Christ, it's all the same. Yeah, it's a great and distinction. that makes it easier for us, I think. From an evangelistic point, I think that makes it easier for us to just go ahead and, and just give them the truth, like share the gospel. You know, mm. that that's what I would say first. Mm. But to, more to the point about, about you know, you're asking about atheism. Um, the, the thing that always really troubled me was the moral argument. Uh, I mean, there are all sorts of arguments. You know, you can get in, you can get in all sorts of you can really get in the weeds as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. If you you know talk about atheism or how to debate atheists or whatever, right? But really, let's t- let's talk about the moral argument. And I know it's kind of been well covered in a lot of different apologetic areas. There's speakers way you know more eloquent than than I that have talked about it. But simply put. Anyone who claims to be an atheist can never pass any kind of moral judgment whatsoever, because by doing so, they are assigning themselves a position uh, in relation to a, a, a moral authority or an absolute moral authority. Right. So we have atheists come at us all the time, say, you Christians are so evil. And you're like, well, what does that mean? You don't even have... A context for evil. So what are you what are you talking about? And and you know, the point is never to shut down, in my opinion, to shut down people, but to rather to get them to really open up about what it is they mean. You know, what what do you mean by that? What where do you get that? Or is it just your are you just giving me your opinion, which is fine, but to to make a claim, you're to say something is bad means you believe that there is something is absolutely good. What is that thing? Mm-hmm. Where is that? And is that thing the same thing for me as it is for you? If not, then it's a relative good. So I think that the argument about morality and what what good and evil is, the existence of good and evil, is really at the heart of of atheist apologetics. Because, you know, like Jesus said, there's not one person good except for God. And and I think really what he was getting at is there wasn't there isn't anything actually absolutely good except for God himself. Yeah. And everything that resides outside of him is not good. And people like say well there it's kind of, no it's it's evil. 
<laughs> if it's not of God and through him and in him and rooted in who he is, it's not sort of good or a little bit bad or middle ground. It's evil. Yeah. And and we don't like to talk like that because first of all, it disturbs us. I mean, I, even as I say <laughs> it, I know what I sound I know what I sound like. I mean, right. I'm aware of it. Right. And I, I'm a I, I'm a I'm a biblical fundamentalist, right? I mean, that's <laughs> that's what the Bible teaches. It teaches good and evil. It doesn't it doesn't teach about some nebulous middle ground that maybe you can just kind of hang out in. Right. So I I think that the moral argument when evangelizing, like I said, atheists or you know any real non-believer, um, it, I think that's that's the first place you should go. Hmm. What is good? Who is good? How do you know? Yeah. And and, and you go from there. Yeah. Talk just briefly too about your brother-in-law. I mean, you know, Jesus obviously talks about. They'll know you. You're my disciples by your love. You know, talk about that in context of just relationship with your brother-in-law. Was he ever like? You, you say he came at you, you know, but is that how did he do that? Was that in a loving way? Was that like a browbeating kind of way? How did what did that look like? You know what? He would tell you himself. My brother-in-law is a lot like me. Um, <laughs> when we are passion, when we are passionate about something, uh-huh. we can be sometimes very uh, outspoken, abrasive. Gotcha. Maybe we're not the maybe we're not the most loving people. In, in all honesty, <laughs> as far as like an, emo- an emotional kind of way. I got you. But but to tell the truth, to speak the, to speak the truth in love, yeah. is really is really the goal, right? So like. Yeah. I don't care even if you're coming at me in, a, in an aggressive way. If you're telling me Jesus loves me, you're telling me because there is love in your heart for me. Yeah. Because you don't have to tell me that. Right. You could just be like, all right, you know, you're good. Just do it. You know, you don't have to. So, so I, 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 like I said, I'm very wary of of wading into like emotionalism about how sure. nice you are to people is the way you love them. <laughs> the way you love people is by sharing the truth with them. Yeah. We've had our ups and downs and, 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 you know, as all relationships do, but I love him. I told him that I told him that all the time, I told him the last time we spoke, I always love you, man. I mean, mm-hmm. God used you in yeah. a way that was unique in my life. And yeah. I'm thankful for that. That's great. That's so great. So let's, let's shift gears just a little bit here and talk about, so you're in Hollywood. Um, you've got a family, <laughs> you've been in the industry, you know, you, you've had all these things, um, you know, talk to us now about just being a believer in Hollywood, someone who's outspoken. Um, you know, uh, this is my own ignorance. I know, I know very little about Hollywood, how you get work, you know, the whole uh, auditioning process, how that all works. So, um, you know, do you find you're, sure. black, you're blacklisted or blackballed in certain ways? Like how just kind of peel, peel back the curtain for us and the listeners so we can gain a little bit more well, perspective. I'll put it this way. I wish my career was flourishing uh, enough to say that I was blackballed for, 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 for my, my faith. I mean, yeah. look, I, I, um, I didn't act for 20 years until last year. And when I got the job, I, f- I'm not joking. I fell into my wife's arms <laughs> sobbing like a little baby because I knew that there's no way except for the Lord to even bring me back to a place that I could get a, a, a current uh, TV credit. Yeah. Um, after 20 years, after brain surgery, after, after you know, living at my mama's house, after all the lows, right. 20 years, 
gone by. I start a new life. I start a new career. I start a family. And God does this thing. And yes, of course, there are people who are, you know, who who hire you and then they tell your agent. But God is doing these things. Mm. I, I, I'm convinced more than ever. And when he doesn't give something, when he doesn't do something, God is choosing that way to to to, sh- to allow something to happen or to do it actively in order for for our good. If we're if we're with him, it's for our good. And yeah. so, you know, since I, um, I I did an episode of SEAL Team last year. Um, I've tried to kind of get things going again. I'm not trying to form it myself. I'm not trying to uh, be the the the, the, the mold uh, molder here. I'm I'm really letting him uh, shape everything because when I try, whenever I try to control things in my past, it never works out well. I'm gonna go about my business. I'm gonna trust in him to lead me. I believe he does. Um, as I believe he leads anyone who follows him by his spirit and will tell us, hey. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll nudge you this way. He'll nudge you that way. He'll close the door. He'll open the door. So I'm just kind of, I'm, that's how I'm, I'm going forward, one foot at a time. Opportunities are, are more than ever for actors, right, all over the place. Right. But the problem is that the content itself has become so, I, I, I want to say weaponized. Um, mm. You know, there, there are people that are largely in control of many of the, the, the mechanisms of, of the industry that just, they don't. They don't want to hear about anything to do with the Bible or Jesus or God or anything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they may, they may, uh, you know, say a token thing or two, or they may have these projects here that uh, they market to our faith-based audiences. But even those, man, I mean, even those, I, I, sometimes I cringe at because I don't know, I don't know what we're doing with those. I don't know who we're reaching with those. Right. I don't know what that, what, what that plan is, God can use it. I know that, but, you know, I, just as a whole, <clears throat> sure, the industry is accepting of anything that brings in, you know, revenue, but, uh, yeah, it's it's not a great place as a believer if you're putting your value in what the industry thinks of you. Right. It can be an extremely harsh, harsh place. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So, Ian, talk to us just a little bit sure. about... Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're pursuing stuff in Hollywood, you got job, all that stuff. Um, but you're still a dad, you're still a husband, you know, you're, you're still in the trenches of life. And so just kind of walk us through what does normal life look like for you? And what are the struggles that you face, you know, in all that? Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I have three kids and they're all at different ages and, as you know, they all have different levels of needs and, and, and their personalities. And, and I, I found that I come home and sometimes I'm just flat out exhausted. <laughs> you know, um, I, I work, um, and you come home and I got, I got nothing left, man. But, uh, what I've de- what I've decided, I've made a, a decision of the will, a volitional decision to say, look, I know my time with these kids, with my wife, is going to be limited. It may feel like it will be like this forever. You know, sometimes we have those days <laughs> as dads where you're like, is this day, is this, this going to loop over and over into eternity? <laughs> and we really do feel like that. And I always have to remind myself that, Things change just like that. Like, I, I really believe that that's one of the things, you know, that having brain surgery, of all things, showed me is that, like, your life 
it first of all is not your own and your life can change in a moment mm. and you never know how long you will be a husband how you long you will be a dad yeah you never know these things we take them for granted and i don't mean to sound trite that i really when you stop and you consider all the possibilities and all the dangers and all the things that can happen your time as a husband and father is limited and so i i i am you know and I, <laughs> my wife, when she hears this, I can imagine what she would think. But <laughs> I know my imperfections and my short my shortcomings as a dad. There, they are many. But I, I, I decided a long time ago that, how, however I can and however much I'm able, to let my kids know that number one, number one, whatever they do, that there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus and he loves them. Mm. And that whatever they decide to do with their life, to know that their father wanted them to follow Jesus with all his heart. Mm. I want them to be crystal clear. And I want to give them that foundation and, and, and to love them in doing that. And, you know, it doesn't always work out like, uh, you know, the way you want it to. And it may not, every day is not obviously roses. You know, you, you have days <laughs> when your kids are crying and they're, they're whining and they're fighting and you have to be a, the disciplinarian. And that's part of, you know, that's part of what we're here to be. I mean, as dads, I mean, that's, that's the family unit that God has put in place. Um, yeah. And so I have to be willing to be that, to be that guy too. But at the end of the day, I always, you know, try to think about it in terms of law and grace and that, you know, I, I want to give them the law and that law is, look, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you got to do what your mom and dad say, or there's going to be consequences. <laughs> but I also want to give them the grace to show them, Hey, I love you. Even when you do break my rules and even when you do uh, ignore me and, and, and when you make an effort to go out of your way to go against what I say, I love you. And that will, and no action of yours will ever change that love mm -hmm. because that's really what God's grace is to us. You know, that's really why it puts works to, to total and utter shame is because none of that matters. Yeah. yeah. It's good works are great and they're profitable and all those things, but that has no bearing on the way God loves us. I remember when I, when I first got saved that I, you really think like, okay, now that I'm this new person, right. I'm going to start doing all these things and I'm going to like make him proud. And there's nothing really wrong with that, <laughs> but it's definitely not the, it's not the plan that, that he set up, right? Like that's not really what he's talking about when he talks about grace. Yeah. Grace is in spite of who we are yeah. and in spite of what we do. Yeah. And I want, I want to have that attitude. I want to model that for my kids and say, look, you are doing X, Y, and Z. You, this, you know, this may be wrong. This may be uh, bad. And I may have to punish you for this, but know this. I love you. I forgive you. And I'm standing here waiting for you to come back into my arms hmm. because that's exactly what God has done for us. Yeah. Amen. That's so good. Just kind of, as we wrap up, Ian, how, how can our listeners uh, support you? Um, how they, how can they connect to you? Like, obviously, I mean, I'm all for believers and lovers of Jesus, just, you know, whatever industry they find themselves in doing it with excellence and also just being in, in a, a person of influence and, um, you know, how, how can we best support you as you, you do that in Hollywood? Right now you can follow me on, on, on Twitter, uh, and, uh, Instagram. I'm at, uh, I am Giotti. Um, but yeah, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. 
Um, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Before we go, um, would you just pray for the dads out there listening and, and drop some of what you've got for us? Sure. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for my brother Aaron, this time together just to share. And as dads, Lord, we, you know that we face these uh, challenges every day. And um, Lord, this is what it's all about. It's about these families you've given us. It's about these wives and children that you've entrusted to us, Lord, that we would be um, faithful to pray over them, to uh, teach them your word, to minister to them, and to always point them not to who we are, because I know as a dad, I'm, I'm a very imperfect dad, but God, I'm always trying to point them to you, Lord. And I just pray um, for Aaron and for any of the dads listening as we struggle in this day-to-day thing, Lord, and we look to ultimately being with you, our Heavenly Father. Uh, help us to minister to our kids. Help us to teach them to stand strong in the face of a culture that wants nothing to do with you. And help us to do it in a way that's loving and truthful, Lord. And to give them um, just your word and to uh just to be there, to be present and available. Lord, I know I'm, 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 I'm not personally uh, always good about making myself present and available when my kids need me. And, and Lord, help us to do that, to set aside the stuff we keep busy with. And Lord, bless uh, this podcast that um, Aaron has, Lord, that you've given him. I pray you would use it uh, for all the things that you have intended for it, Lord. And just watch over us. God, give us strength and wisdom in these days we're living in. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Well, and now before we go to, I just, I want to pray for you. So um, if you all listening would Thank also you. just uh, join me and be praying for Ian as well. So, Father, I thank you for Ian. I thank you, God, for the ways that you have drawn him to yourself and that you have just ignited his heart with passion for you and um, just the life that He now has in you. I pray, God, that it would um, be contagious for those around Him. Um, I pray for favor for Him as He continues to uh, walk um, out in the industry and um, you know try and do this dad life well and pursue this career and uh, influence in the way that you have drawn Him and called Him. So uh, I bless Him in the name of Jesus and just ask you to give Him the work of His hands and uh, that it would prosper. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more content and resources, check out the website at dadinthetrenches.com or on social media at Dad in the Trenches. And be sure and click on subscribe to stay up to date with new podcasts. Walk out the heroic fatherhood you were called to live.